Good morning. I uh, truly believe the words we sang, uh, I am nothing without you. Um, and as much as I truly believe it, uh, I also continue to learn it every day. I believe it more now than I did last year. I believe it more last year than I did 10 years ago. And so uh, to start this morning, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I do pray for humility. I pray that, uh, that the words that I speak this morning uh, are your words and not mine. I pray that, uh, that, that your message comes through even, uh, even when I uh, am in the way. And Father, I pray uh, that I will get out of your way as much as possible. It's in Jesus' name, amen. So a few weeks ago, we all celebrated the 4th of July, and uh, I would guess that different people celebrate the 4th of July in different ways. Uh, maybe you went to see fireworks somewhere. Um, actually, show of hands, how many went somewhere and saw fireworks this year for the 4th of July? Well, not as many as I would have expected. Not, that, not, not as many. Well, that's interesting. Um, well, a lot of people go see fireworks. If, yeah, but maybe I need to instruct you. So on the 4th of July... <laughs> Maybe you set off your own fireworks. Maybe that's why you didn't go anywhere. Maybe you had your own fireworks. I won't tell if you won't. Uh, and so you set off your own fireworks on the 4th of July. Uh, maybe you had a bunch of people over to your house and, and had a big party on the 4th of July. You got together with a bunch of friends and family. Um, my family celebrated the 4th of July at a state park in Michigan at our campsite that we didn't leave all day long because the 4th of July is not my favorite holiday. Um, it has nothing to do with whether or not I love this country. I do. It has everything to do with how I don't like being in big crowds of people, and I hate heat. Hate it. Like, if you're going to rank the four seasons, summer is so far at the bottom of my list. Give me winter all year long before I have to go through summer at all. This last week is what I imagine hell to be. I hate it when it's hot. So the 4th of July just isn't my favorite because it has the unfortunate distinction of falling right in the middle of my least favorite season of the year. Um, if you love the 4th of July, it probably means you really like getting together with people. It probably means you don't mind the heat that much. It might mean that you're, you have a touch of the pyromaniac in you. You just like setting things on fire. That could be why you like that holiday. But it's interesting to me, I got thinking this year that your favorite holiday says a lot about who you are. Your favorite holiday says a lot about you to other people. For example, maybe Halloween's your favorite holiday. If Halloween's your favorite holiday, I'm going to venture a guess about you. I'm going to venture the guess that you're probably the person in school that won the costume contest seven years in a row. I'm going to guess that you're probably the person, like, you got your mom to, to, like, spend, like, four days making your costume and doing your hair up and figuring out your makeup, and you, like, super get into it. And if that was you when you were a kid, I have another, I'm going to venture another guess. As an adult, every year, you continue to make your own original costume that references some kind of obscure pop culture thing that no one gets but you. You know it's you if Halloween's your favorite. Halloween, my son Seth, Halloween is his favorite. Halloween is the time of year that you can, you can try out different identities, right? You can be something that you're not just to see what it feels like. 
if, uh, if Thanksgiving is your favorite, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday, far and away. It's in the best season of the year. It's, it's finally starting to get cold and, and get, getting rid of this summer garbage. And, uh, and so Thanksgiving's my favorite. And you know, I wish I could tell you it's because I enjoy serving my family. I wish I could tell you that Thanksgiving's my favorite because I enjoy making this excellent home-cooked meal and being a servant to my family. But if I'm honest, Thanksgiving is my favorite because my family is filled with women who are amazing cooks and I get to eat their food and watch football all day long. That's why Thanksgiving is my favorite if I'm honest with you. My wife's favorite holiday, Sarah's favorite holiday is Christmas. Uh, and I have to insist that the Christmas music wait until at least we serve the turkey. Like, wait until the turkey's on the table before we start playing the Christmas songs. But people who love Christmas are usually really good at giving gifts. And secretly, I promise you, they also really like getting gifts. They, they'll, they'll tell you, they'll deny it up and down, but they're lying. So... They're really good at giving gifts. They also secretly like getting them. Usually people who love Christmas are collectors. They collect decorations and they collect presents for other people. Like their whole, like all of the hiding spots are just like bursting at the seams by the time Christmas comes. Uh, They they collect, uh, you know, family traditions. They collect experiences around Christmas that that all have special memories. Um, And if Valentine's Day is your favorite holiday, then you're either a small child who loves to eat candy and give cards to their friends, or you just started a relationship. Those are the two people, those are the two people who like Valentine's Day. Everybody else is like, this is a dumb holiday. This is really stupid, because it just makes all of us guys look bad, right? Your favorite holiday says a lot about you. Uh, We're in the midst of this series, and and we're talking about favorites. We're talking about our favorite passages of Scripture. And uh, when Steve asked me to, to handle this week, it took me a while to choose. There's a lot in the Bible that's good. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that, that has meant a lot to me over the years, and it's difficult to choose a favorite, but I ended up settling on one passage, one, one verse, really, uh, that has inspired me since I became a Christian 26 years ago. And this verse continues to challenge me. It shapes the way I view other people. Uh, it affects the way I parent my own kids. Uh, It directly affects the way I handle youth ministry, the way that I do my job day in and day out. And this verse is found in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and it's verse 12. And this morning, we're going to read this verse in its context. So we're going to read a few verses around it. And then we're going to walk through this verse together piece by piece. So I just laid out, this is exactly what's going to happen this morning. We're going to read it in context and walk through it together. So in 1 Timothy 4... I'm going to start in verse 12 and read to the end of the chapter. It says this, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, this is Paul writing to Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Even though this is a short verse, there's a lot going on here. 
The verse is part of a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, uh, who is his friend and co-worker. And the first thing that you probably noticed in this verse is that Timothy was young. We don't know exactly how young he was. Uh, scripture doesn't lay out this is how old Timothy was when Paul wrote him this letter, but based on what we know from the rest of the New Testament about Timothy and about Paul, we can guess that Timothy is somewhere in his early 30s as Paul's writing to him here. This word that Paul uses about, about that, that means young, uh, back in those days, people would, it would have meant anywhere from uh, late teenage years to, to like 40 years old. So uh, young had a, a kind of a wide span of meaning, but uh, the best we can figure, Timothy's in his early 30s. And, and we know that Timothy traveled with Paul on his second missionary journey. We know that he was with Paul when Paul wrote Romans, 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, and Philemon. So Timothy wasn't new to faith. Timothy wasn't new to ministry. Timothy had spent a lot of time doing ministry, a lot of time with Paul. He had seen the way that Paul uh, taught, the way that Paul would preach, the way that Paul would handle situations. Uh, He was there with Paul when Paul wrote many of his letters that ended up being books of the New Testament. Uh, Timothy was there. Timothy had been around the block in ministry. And Paul sent Timothy to Ephesus to to be the pastor of the church there while Paul was away. Uh, Notice in the the text that we read, Paul says, until I come back, until I return, do these things. Hold down the fort. Um, Make sure uh, that that things go well in my absence. And and Paul chose Timothy on purpose. He chose Timothy for a reason. He, He chose Timothy to deal with some complicated problems. The church at Ephesus had a a number of complicated issues with false teachers. He he chose Timothy to deal with with hostile people, honestly. Uh, People that were angry with one another uh, over this false teaching. People were having a difficult time coming to agreement on really anything. And he chose Timothy because Timothy was a close friend. And Timothy had a lot of ministry experience, even though he was younger. Even though he had less social standing than the other leaders in the church that he was going to, even though he wasn't exactly in their eyes on their level, Paul chose him for a reason. And regardless of exactly how old he is, he's clearly young enough that some in the church were holding back their respect. That's the second thing that, that you notice in this verse. It can be hard to gain respect when you're young. The word, the verb that, that Paul uses for, that, that is translated in the NIV as look down on you, literally it means to have an opinion set against you. That someone has made up their mind about you before they really even meet you. They look down on you, they, their opinion is set against you. Usually this word indicates uh, a contempt or disregard. Either they, they actively don't like you or they just dismiss you as not relevant right, don't, don't mean much. And I'm telling you, young people are often looked down on because they're seen as immature or annoying or disrespectful or rebellious. And I'm here to tell you, as a youth minister, there are times when young people are all of those things. <laughs> Can I tell you the truth? There are also times when you are all of those things. There are more times than I care to admit when I am all of those things. Dismissing a young person because of those things isn't doing them any favors. 
And whether it's true or not, whether those things are true or not, we tend to buy into these stereotypes that that surround youth. We, We tend not to go out of our way to interact and meet with an individual. We just think they're this age, they're young, they're not ready without even really knowing them. And and honestly, I gotta tell you, that's that's my part to speak to old people. Now I want to speak to I, I don't know why I went to this end of the room to speak to old people and now young people. That was like a total slip. I didn't mean that. You're all young, I promise. As frustrating as that is for young people to be despised and dismissed, and don't miss this. We can't just ignore the opinions of those who are older than us. You get that? The easiest thing when, when someone older than you doesn't respect you, doesn't, doesn't think highly of you, just dismisses you because of your age, the easiest thing is to say, well, fine, I don't have any use for you either. And that's not the instruction Paul gives Timothy. That's the third thing that I see when I look at this verse. Paul tells Timothy, don't let it happen. When I first started in youth ministry in my early 20s, I used this verse. I used it a lot. I used it as a weapon. If there was any hint that someone might disrespect me due to my age, I would beat them over the head with 1 Timothy 4.12 to show them that God says, you're not allowed. You're not allowed to look down on me because of my age. Doesn't matter how young I am. God says, you're not allowed. And then one day something happened. I actually read the verse. And when I read the verse, for what it says, for what is actually written in the verse, I noticed something that changed my entire perspective. This verse is not a command to the members of Timothy's church. This verse is a command to Timothy. Don't let this happen. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Paul isn't saying, hey, church, I'm sending you this young guy. Cut him all the slack he needs. Don't look down on him. Let him do whatever he wants. Paul is writing to Timothy, to the young person, to say, don't let it happen. The responsibility is on Timothy's shoulders. It's up to Timothy to make sure that older people don't look down on him simply because of his age. I can't force people to respect me by quoting this verse to them. I have to earn their respect. You don't get people to respect you by telling them that they have to respect you. That's like the weakest, flimsiest form of respect that you can have by demanding that someone respect you just because you say so, right? Paul doesn't give Timothy seven steps to effective leadership. He doesn't give Timothy a handbook on how to expand his influence. Paul doesn't give Timothy those things. Instead, he... he, He doesn't advise that that Timothy play politics. He doesn't say that that Timothy should engage in passive-aggressive behavior to teach people their lesson. The respect that Timothy needs in order to lead in the church will not come from his talents and abilities, won't come from how great he is, won't come from his work ethic. He works so hard and earns his respect. It won't come from his age. It won't come from his economic status. Leadership in God's kingdom is not like leadership in the world. It's just not. And this isn't just Paul. Jesus described it too. Jesus said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. 
Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus made these comments right in the midst of a conversation where he caught his disciples arguing over which one of them was the greatest. Can you imagine that argument? Like James and John and Peter and then like all the other guys whose names we don't remember as readily, right? And they're all, they're all arguing amongst themselves about like why I'm the best. And it seems ridiculous if we didn't do it all the time too. Like if all the time we weren't trying to like one-up each other and like, like, oh, well, that's your story? Well, think about the time that I did it better. You know, we do that all the time to one another. And so Jesus walks in on this conversation his disciples were having about who's the greatest, who's better than who, and he says those words. He says, listen, Leaders in the world, like, lord their authority over people. They demand things. They tell everybody what to do. And Jesus says, don't, don't do that. Don't be like that. Don't be that kind of leader. Don't, don't wield your authority that way. Don't demand things from people and tell them that they have to do it your way. Instead, he says, whoever wants to be great must be a servant. Greatness in the kingdom, the path to greatness is through service. When someone dismisses me because I'm young, it's, it's really tempting to just dismiss them in return. But based on Paul's advice to Timothy, I should desire the respect of older Christians. Even when they dismiss me because I'm young, I should still desire their respect. We tell our kids all the time, don't worry about what other people think about you. And that's good advice as far as it goes because it helps, it helps kids as they're growing up to not take things too personally, the way other people feel about you, the things other people say about you. But if we're all honest in a moment of honesty, can we all just admit that we do care about those things? We do care about what other people think. We do care about what other people feel. Maybe not everybody else, but someone. You care about what someone thinks of you. You want, to, you want to be worthy of, of someone's respect. There are, I mean, I, I promise you, you can think of someone right now that, 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 that you know this of. You know, I want that person to, to respect me. I desperately want them to accept me uh, and, and see me for who I am. So yet, yeah, Paul isn't saying, Timothy, forget them. Do whatever you want in the church. Lead however you want because you're the man. He says, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. That means that Timothy is to care about what these older Christians think of him. But before we go too far, I want you to notice something else. Paul doesn't tell Timothy to find out what people want and just do that. See, Timothy's, Timothy's job here isn't just conflict resolution. It's not like, well, this person's really mad because they don't like whatever in the church, and so I'm just, I just need to give them what they want so they can be happy, and I need to give them what they want so they can be happy, and then give them what they want. That's not, that's not the deal. That's not what Paul's instructing Timothy to do here. Just giving in to every expectation from everybody in the church isn't going to get Timothy anywhere. The point is not to find out what other people want from me and just do it. And the point's not to force my way into leadership and demand that people listen to me. The point is that Timothy should look to God. That Timothy should be and do what God calls him to. And in that way, he should become an example to everyone he meets, regardless of their age. That's how you earn respect. 
And honestly, how many young people think that way? How many young people think, I am called to be an example to those who are older than me? I am called to be an example to my, to my parents, to my, my relatives, to people in the church. I'm called not in, a, in an arrogant way, but I am called to be an example. I'm called to live a life worthy of admiring. And of course, of course, adults are supposed to, to set an example for young people. The Bible is it's clear about that all over the place, that adults are, are the ones that, that God, you know, parents and leaders and adults, God raises them up to set an example actively for young people. But here in this verse, in Paul's instruction to Timothy, it's the other way around. And Paul sets some pretty high expectations for young people in this verse. He's not the only one. When God called Jeremiah all the way back in, in the Old Testament, Jeremiah argued with God that, that he was too young. Uh, he was too young to do what God was asking him to do. And, and listen to what God says to him. He says, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. See, in God's kingdom, age is just a number. And, and if you're a young person, I did it again. If you're a young person, <laughs> I would encourage you to rebel against low expectations. Rebel against, if you're going to rebel, you know, young people, that's, that's you know, the, the, the stereotype, right? You're rebellious and, and uncontrollable. If you're going to rebel, make your rebellion be against the low expectations of the people around you. Show people that that's not who you are. Don't live down to expectations. Just shatter the low expectations. Rebel in that way. Rebel by committing to set an example. An example how? An example in what? Well, fortunately, Paul doesn't leave it a mystery. He spells it out in list form. <laughs> he says, set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Your words and your actions work together. And they make an impression on everyone that you meet. And so we're, we're going to wrap up this morning. I just all got really excited. It's a long wrap up. We're going to wrap up this morning by walking through each of those five areas. Five areas to wrap up. So first, the first way we're called to set an example is in our speech. And the Bible has a lot to say about the way we use words. Especially in Proverbs and James. If, you're, if this is you, if you're like, man, t you know, Paul's right. I need to work on this. Proverbs, James. Go to those books this week in your own Bible study. In Proverbs 8.13, it says God hates perverse speech. In Proverbs 22.11, we're encouraged to speak with grace. Uh, James points out that uh, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. James points out the way that we use our words kind of as this double-edged sword, that we can show up in church on a Sunday morning and sing these worship songs and, and sing these words to our God and Father, and then... And then on the road, on the way to lunch, someone cuts us off and we use our words very differently. <laughs> Ephesians 4.29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This is about more than swearing. I, all right, if you're my son, don't listen to me for a minute. <laughs> God's a lot more concerned about how we're using our words than which words we're using. 
Not to say that God doesn't care whether or not we swear. Don't hear me say that. What I'm saying is these verses, when we boil these verses down to don't swear, we miss it. That's not what they're saying. It's talking about perverse speech, unwholesome talk, things that tear other people apart instead of building them up. It's about the way we use our words more than the, word, the specific words we use. Because different words have been bad and then not bad anymore. You know, that, a lot of times swearing is cultural. Which words are bad and now it's okay to say that, but it's not okay to say this. It's more about how you use your words. So when, when Paul is saying set an example in speech, he's saying set an example in the way that you use language. My kids will tell you I harp on this a lot, and it's not about swearing for me. For me, and this isn't the Bible, this is just me, a lot of times it's about grammar. Like if you're gonna speak the language, speak the language. Don't, okay, anyway, I'm off my soapbox. Never mind, that's just a parent issue. Use your words wisely. If you don't want anyone to look down on you, you need to start by choosing your words carefully. There's this old saying, you've heard it, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Can we agree that's garbage? Can we just stop using that? That's not true. Words hurt a lot. Whether they're words that I speak to your face or words that I post on Facebook, they hurt. Don't use hurtful words. Words are powerful. Recognize their power. And choose words that honor God. Choose words that build others up. The second way we're called to set an example is our conduct. This is our way of life. And this word, this is a generic word. It's about our our regular, ordinary, everyday behavior uh, and the character that it reveals. And unfortunately, when I look around, there's a lot of leaders in today's world that are a lot more concerned with their image than they are with their character. They care a lot more about the way they're perceived than the way they, they really are. Our character is built through obedience to God so that people see his image instead of mine. My image doesn't matter. The image of God in me is what I need people to see. And that's seen through my character, the character that is built up in me by the Holy Spirit. And so the last three items on Paul's list are all specific concerns about character, specific areas of our conduct that we need to work on. And the first one is love. That's not surprising. This is listed first everywhere in scripture. Uh, These three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love, right? And this love is agape love. You may have heard this before. It's, It's a very popular way to preach a sermon using the Greek words for love. This word for love is agape love. And it means no matter what other people do to you, no matter what they say about you, you seek nothing but their good. This is the love that we read about in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It's not easily angered. (laughs) It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And we usually think of love as a feeling. 
It's a matter of the heart. It's, it's something that happens to us that we can fall into and out of. It's Valentine's Day, right? But, but clearly this love is more than that. Agape love is a choice. It's a choice to not be bitter. It's a choice to not be resentful, to, to not take revenge, to not give in to hate. To, it's a choice to, to always forgive rather than holding a grudge. Agape love is an unconquerable compassion for other people. Even when they don't deserve it, even when they don't return it. And when you love people this way, you care for them no matter what they do to you, no matter what they say about you. This love doesn't depend on the other person. This love depends on me and on God. And so next, Paul says, Paul lists faith, right? Uh, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, this is the go-to faith definition. Uh, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. And this Hebrews 11 is a great chapter if you're interested in reading about faith. It tells all these stories of these giants of the faith throughout the Old Testament. But not every one of the stories has a happy ending. When you get to the end of Hebrews 11, in, in verse 36, you read, some, some throughout history, some who have been faithful, faced jeers and flogging. They were made fun of. They were beaten up. Even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. See, no matter what you hear from TV preachers, Faith doesn't result in like health and wealth and riches and this great posh life where nothing bad ever happens. Things happen to people in this broken world that we live in. Faith is loyalty to Jesus. It's an unconquerable loyalty to Jesus where no matter what happens in life, Jesus is my go-to. When bad things happen, I go to Jesus. When good things happen, I go to Jesus. When anything happens, I go to Jesus. This faith is this loyalty to Jesus that no matter what happens in life, I go to Jesus. Because it's easy to love Jesus when life is good, but continuing to serve God through suffering and pain and hard times demonstrates whether our faith is real. And the last one that Paul lists is, is purity refusing to compromise God's standard for my life. And I think I've shared this before, but I once taught this in youth ministry by making cookies. Uh, I made cookies with salt instead of sugar. And then I served them to students. And then they sued me. <laughs> when, when one small ingredient is changed, it affects the whole batch of cookies. They were awful, I, I promise. They were just terrible. And and when we allow just a little bit of the wrong ingredients to become a regular part of our lives, it affects our whole example. Psalm 119.9 asks the question, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? And then answers it, by living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Purity is an unconquerable commitment to God's standards. 
And so Paul is calling Timothy to a pretty high expectation here. You know, there's no, no low expectations because Timothy's young. Paul is saying, Timothy, listen. The words you use and the actions you take in your life need to demonstrate a commitment to God's standards. They need to demonstrate loyalty to Jesus above all else and no matter what. They need to demonstrate love. They need to demonstrate love and purity. And so that's, so that's the example. That's the example we're to set. That's the life we are to live. And so what's the value? What's the point? What's the bottom line? If I do that, what do I get? Well, when we choose words that honor God and build others up and actions that show compassion for others and loyalty to Jesus and a commitment to live by God's standards, Paul tells Timothy what happens at the end of this passage. In verse 15 and 16, he says, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them. To setting an example, to, to figuring this stuff out in your life. Give yourself wholly to them. Throw yourself into that so that everyone may see your progress. Not just, not just like in private. Throw yourself into that in a public way so people can see that the Holy Spirit is changing you and molding you. He says, watch your life and doctrine closely. The way you live should match the things you believe. Watch that closely. Persevere in them because if you do, and this blows my mind, this is the craziest part of the whole passage, if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, Paul is very, very clear in other places that we don't uh, earn our own salvation by our behavior. That's not what he's saying here. We know that from the rest of the New Testament. Um, he's also not saying that I can like, earn your salvation by something that I do without any, any kind of impact in your life. But what, what he is saying is that when our words and our actions align so that we live, up, we live out the truth of the gospel, that it has a profound effect on the salvation of people around us. When we live a consistent life, a consistent life where, we, where what we believe matches the way that we live and everyone around us can see it, it matters. It changes things. It brings, us, it, brings, it brings us a respect that we could never demand. A respect that, people, that just happens naturally when people see who we are in, in Christ. I know it's frustrating. I know it's frustrating to feel like you're not being heard. I know that. And maybe at work, in your family, in the church, I know how frustrating it is to feel like you're not being heard. I know how frustrating it is to feel like you're not being respected. I know the frustration of feeling like I have so much more to contribute, but no one sees the value in what I bring. I know that frustration. And when that happens, it's tempting to demand your rights. It's tempting to, to manipulate people around you to try to gain more influence and gain more authority. And, and, and sometimes when that happens, we just leave. We just throw our hands up in frustration and we bail. We're out of here. And I got to tell you, Timothy faced some pretty serious challenges in his church. 
He was sent, as as a young person, he was sent to take on aggressive false teaching from respected men who used to be members of that same church where he was serving. I mean, he's, the setup for him is not, not great. This is, this is the kind of thing that, like, in ministry, when a, a situation like this comes across your desk, it goes straight into the trash. You don't even call on this opportunity. You're like, no way. Whoever the next person is in this situation is going to get eaten alive. I don't want to be that guy. And Paul says, Timothy, that's you. That's where I'm sending you. Yeah, you're young. Yeah, they're going to look down on you. Here's how you respond. See, the strategy for Timothy was not bail on the Ephesians church and start a new church down the street. Timothy is called to enter the broken church that's filled with broken people who look down on him because of his age and lead by example. And like Timothy, our goal should not be to increase our own status and our own influence in God's kingdom, in the church, really anywhere. Our goal should be to live out the truth of the gospel for all to see. That's our goal. So I want to end today, um, for real this time, I want to end today by introducing you to a young person from our own church. Uh, She's taken this passage seriously in her life, Her name's Kirsten. She's going to come up on stage. Uh, You've probably seen her playing bass in the band. Uh, Maybe you've seen her working with students in KidZone. And she went with us to CIY Move last month, and God really touched her heart with something. And uh, she asked to share with with the whole whole church family, with her entire family. Uh, And so I decided we'd just sit down and have a little conversation this morning. uh, So she wasn't on the spot just having to share it all by herself. So I'm going to come sit over here with Kirsten. How you doing? <laughs> Good. So, Kirsten, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, I'm Kirsten Kennedy. Uh, I'm 16 years old. I go to MacArthur High School, and I'm a junior there. <laughs> so, how did you first get involved at Northwest? Um, I, the Weird Animals VBS. I'd never been to church, and um, here at least, and. My uh, mom made me come help, and I didn't know anybody, and it was great. And then later uh, in the summer, you harassed me into coming to youth group at a pool party. So, it was all above board harassment. Yes, yes. Let's just be clear. (laughs) Pool party. We talked about that, right? That's just in a few weeks. So, if you're thinking about, you know. Coming to youth group and being part of Northwest, yeah. the pool party That's like my is the way to go. So that, that, yeah, I would say that was like four years yeah. ago, right? All right, yeah. so four years you've been you've been part of this church. Um, what kinds of things are you involved in around here? Um, I once a month I do the kids ministry and um, I'm on stage for the praise team whenever I can be, and I go to youth group usually every Sunday. So. And I guess I'm assuming, but but how has your connection to Northwest helped you grow? Um, Well, the people you meet, really, like, it's encouraging to have, like, friends here to, like, come. And I went to a different church, and it's just not the same. And you have, like, a family here, and they hold you accountable in your faith, and they really give you the tools to grow, if that's what you're looking for. Okay. Well, this, the thing that that I really want to talk about happened at CIY Move this summer, and uh, a number of people have never been to a CIY event. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what what that's like? What's a CIY like? CIY is this huge convention, and I don't want to describe it as like a concert, but like every day that's what your session is, and you have like the most amazing speakers and um, the best messages. 
I don't really know how to go into detail because it's different every <laughs> year, but it's just the atmosphere is amazing. There's so many Christians. Um, you feel like you could talk to anybody and they would support you and your faith. And it's just, I've never seen that kind of unity in a group of people. And that's, I mean, CIY is great. So. <laughs> we figured out this year that, that uh, this, this summer was my 21st time going to CIY Move um, as a student and then as an adult. And, and I can testify to that, that, that there's, they're very, very good at uh, speaking directly to young people um, into the culture and, and situations that young people find themselves in and, and the community that, that Kirsten talked about, the community that you find with your, your own youth ministry, the friends that you brought, uh, but also really with, I mean, there's 1,500 young people that are walking around this college campus totally on fire for Jesus, and it's just really, really cool. Yeah, and they, they do a really good job of instilling the idea, like no matter what the overall theme is of that summer, they do a, an amazing job at, like, making sure we know that we are the next generation of the church, that it's going to be our job to bring in Christians and to convert people and to spread the word of God. And I think that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I think they do an excellent job of challenging uh, the way that this passage challenges us. Don't, not to demand your influence and authority, not to demand that your voice be heard, but really to set an example um, that you don't have to wait. Uh, to, to exercise your faith and be a part of God's kingdom. So, so, so the thing that happened this summer um, specifically that really started tugging on your heart, why don't you, why don't you tell us about that? Um, okay, so this summer's theme was and then, and it basically meant that um, every great story starts with God called and then something happened. But that was the overarching theme, and we had something going on kind of on the side, I don't want to say on the side, but like this kind of was, you know, it wasn't like the main focus, but we talked about um, Ireland, the Republic of Ireland. Um, yeah. uh, Jason French is trying, well, not just Jason French, but he's kind of the spearheader of it, I guess. I don't really know how to explain that. He's become something of an idol to yeah, our students. Yeah, he's, he he's, works for CIY, but he's a very excellent speaker. Yeah, yeah, it's very powerful. Um, but... Not an idol in a bad way. Like, they look up to him. They don't worship, they don't worship him, I hope. I don't think. No. Um, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> we talked about Ireland and how they want to start a Christ and Youth Convention out in the Republic of Ireland because of the um, overall despair that that country has and, uh, you know, the political unrest and the um, division between the Catholics and the Protestants. Yeah. And... Um, there's just a complete disconnect between Christians, and it's either people that have forgotten their faith or people who are the only believer. Um, we talked about how there were only there there would only be one student in an entire public high school that was a Christian, or having to drive 45 minutes to get to a youth group. In the entire country, there's six youth ministers total, and we have more than that in our town. So that's a lot more. Yeah, a, a lot more. <laughs> so that's kind of sad. But um, we talked about starting a convention out there because they need it. And they have the highest suicide rate um, in young people in Europe. And because they feel alone and they don't have God to pull them out of the dark. So. Well, and, and we talked about this, and this is where I'm, I'm going to ask you to, to be mm -hmm. a little transparent. Mm -hmm. Why does this issue mean so much to you? This is an um, important subject for me. Um, 
because I know what it feels like to feel alone and helpless and like there's no possible way things could get better and to just, the feeling of isolation is awful. And what has helped me is coming to church and having a, like my youth group and you make friends that you just, I'm, they, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's really hard to explain. Like I'm, I'm trying to be genuine. It's just you have people that you can always rely on and the idea that like people don't have that in that country because they don't have a group of Christians like that around them. They're alone. And I mean, they're not alone because they have God, but they don't have people to push them in their faith. And if I didn't have that, I honestly have no idea where I would be mentally, um, spiritually. So I think that's important. Okay. So walk us through, you, you, you were challenged. Students mm -hmm. at CIY, CIY were challenged. So talk, talk to us about what was the challenge and how can we join you? Okay, so we were asked to take these stickers and um, each sticker represented $100. 100% of that would have gone to CIY Ireland, the um, convention that they're putting together for Ireland, the efforts that they're putting together. Um, I decided to bring that effort back to our church because it is an issue that has touched me deeply and I think that we could all get involved. And so outside on a table, there are envelopes with numbers on the envelopes. <laughs> and, um, inside there's a monetary value and um, I'm asking that if you could commit to donating that money um, to help people that are struggling and to spread the word of Christ, and this is like a global outreach, and I think that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, 100% a, a of what was raised at CIY, CIY uh, put out 500 stickers the, the, the week that we were there, and every single one of them was taken, representing a commitment. Um, 500 times $100 is substantial, uh, considering that CIY does 23 events all summer long. Um, I'm very impressed, I always am impressed at the, at the faith commitment that high school students demonstrate for global outreach and global missions work. Um, and this is a, just a really cool way, I think, that we can, we can join in. Um, that, that, not, not, that, not that I want to elevate Kirsten or a high school student as like better than anyone, but setting an example in this, setting an example in, in people in Ireland. You know, it's not, it's not digging a well or, or like building a house. It's not third world. And so sometimes I think we can overlook it, but people in Ireland, students in Ireland need Jesus just as much. Um, and not, not that a conference is the only answer, but, but a conference like this to bring young people together can really spark a movement. And that's the goal. That's the prayer. So the band is gonna come back up and they're gonna lead us in a song to respond to God. And, and I simply want to challenge you to submit your words and your actions to the authority of Christ. Stop trying to influence others to do what you think they should do, but instead set an example of what it looks like when you do what God wants you to do. Build up your compassion for others and your loyalty to Jesus and your commitment to God's standards. Earn respect by being the person God calls you to be instead of trying to force other people to do things your way. If you'd like to pray with someone this morning, you can come forward. Uh, I'll be in the front. There'll be people on the sides. You can come forward as we stand and sing this song together.